Glenn Loop, Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America, is my guest. We'll discuss a recent federal court victory for the cigar industry and how it affects you, as well as two cigar tax referendums underway in Oregon and Colorado. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Real. Connecticut wrapper comes to Gurkha, mild, creamy, and smooth. GurkhaCigars.com. By New World from A.J. Fernandez. There's a new world for every palate, from the mild New World Connecticut to the medium New World Cameroon to the ultra-flavorful, bold, rich New World Oscuro. AJFCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva, introducing the new Camacho Nicaragua, forged in fire, harnessing the wild flavors of Nicaragua. Camacho, live loud, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Long-ass greetings and salutations, a long-ass snappy salute, semper delictatio, always pleasure, long live the alpha, make America great again. Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, is our guest, longtime friend, not only of the Cigar Dave Show, but of this general personally. Glenn, greetings, glad to have you aboard. Cigar Dave, always a pleasure. Thank you for everything you do for the cause and helping us spread the word. Well... I always say that uh, smoking cigars and making cigars is the easy part, but uh, starting about 10, 12 years ago, dealing with the federal bureaucracy and federal regulations is the tough part that really take the fun out of the cigar industry. And the industry has been fighting the FDA on a number of different fronts. When cigars were deemed to be included in the uh, Family Smoking Prevention Act, and it has been... uh, crazy ever since then, but there was a big ruling in uh, late August from U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, Judge Amit Mehta, that ruled in favor of the cigar industry on pre-market approval. So first up, what is pre-market approval? What does that mean to the cigar connoisseur? Well, it's a, it's something that could be very complex, but it is simplified like this. Cigar manufacturers do would not and do not now have to run to the federal bureaucracy to get approval to put a new blend on the market. Uh, you know as well as I do how this is how this is done. Our our friends that are the mutual friends that are the great cigar makers of this country and with those factories in Latin America, they come up with these brilliant ideas. They that's based upon nothing but water, sunshine, and time. Uh, Carlito Fuente, Rocky Patel, Nick Perdomo, all of our mutual friends come up with these blends based upon the availability of unique tobaccos. They may say, oh, we just found X number of bales of tobacco in the back of a warehouse owned by the Placentias. Let's make a unique cigar out of it. Or, as you well remember, the Avos, I think has always been one of our grand examples, comes out once a year for his birthday, a unique blend that they would always put out. Under the rule, you would have to run and apply and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to process applications, have consultants, document what went into a new cigar, go through an entire federal approval process to put that blend on the market. Think about how that affects the boutique manufacturers that don't have near the capacity or the infrastructure or the money to put out some of the most unique blends on the market today. 
you should, they shouldn't have to go through that type of a federal uh, bureaucratic process to put a new cigar on the market that's an all-natural product with no chemical manipulation, no nicotine manipulation. It's all natural. Now, under this ruling, cigar manufacturers, no matter how big or how small, will not have to go through that process. Judge Maida ruled once again, and the operative term there is once again, that the FDA has treated the premium handmade cigar industry specifically, and this is his words, how unfairly the industry has been treated by the, by the FDA. And he has said that not once, but twice. And it all comes back to several different pieces of the process. And the number one part, and I, you and I always talk when, when Dr. Gottlieb is on television, when Scott Gottlieb was going up for his nomination process to be FDA commissioner, a lot of allies of this industry surrounded him during his confirmation process and said, Dr. Gottlieb, if you get this job, you've got to do something to reverse this uh, premium handmade cigar treatment. And he was true to his word. He reopened the public comment period purely on the question of premium handmade cigars, which for the first time separated us from the whole e-cigarette vape part of the, of the deeming process. Well, what happened then? And this is a foundation for what Judge Maida did. The FDA never responded. We filed our 529 pages by the whole industry, the Cigar Association of America, the Premium Cigar Association, and Cigar Rights of America filed 529 pages of information on public health impact, the lack thereof, inhalation, addiction, mortality, the lack thereof, youth access, it doesn't exist. And what happened? The FDA never responded to that filing, and Judge Maida has cited that time and again now in these opinions. He says, and I, Dave, I was in the courtroom the first time he did this. He turns to the government counsel and says, now let me get this right. You want me to force them to comply with these regulations that you're thinking about changing? You're supposed to have that together before you ever come in here. And that's what's happened. And it's played out now for two years uh, running with these opinions from Judge Maida. Well, you know, my understanding, Glenn, was that this is going to be, this is still not resolved, that Judge Maida just did a temporary ruling and now wants the FDA to go back and open this up again. Is that correct? Well, he didn't explicitly tell them to go back, but that's what his opinion completely infers, that they need to get their act together before they continuously to make these court filings. And this is also related to the Judge Grimm filings that would have compelled the pre-market approval process. The uniqueness and the really intriguing part of this, and this is where uh, it does impact the consumer once again, is that we've come full circle now with this debate on what defines a premium cigar. And it's, we have struggled for now bloody near a, a decade to, uh, to properly define a, fe a, a premium handmade cigar by federal statute. Well, it's been painfully obvious through this process just of late with Judge Maida and the Judge Grimm case in Maryland that that was the right thing to do. And they, the FDA has now drawn from those, uh, those uh, legislative definitions and, in fact, tightened it up to the point where the industry could live with a very, very tight definition. And the agency simply hasn't acted on it. Um, we should be just like bourbon. Bourbon is defined by federal statute. So should a premium handmade cigar. And that's what separates it from mass market and other tobacco, major tobacco products that are associated with a lot of other different health implications. But Judge Maida and now 
you know, the Grimm case plays right into that, and they're telling the agency what you've got to do. Now, the silly part about this is what you just referred to. It could compel yet another hearing process, yet another research process, really for the third time for premium cigars. The FDA should just take our, our recommendation and say that if you meet this definition, you're not subject to regulation. That's all they have to do. You know, you know the, the companies file who they are, what they make, where they do it, and that should be the end of the discussion. And put the whole subject of user fees on the industry, which are passed on to the consumer uh, uh, aside. It's the other parts of this regulatory process that are so incredibly dangerous to the future economic health of the industry, like requiring testing of every cigar just because it's a different size or a different blend. All that's got to get off the table. And that's what we're still continuously working with the Trump administration to try to rectify, uh, hopefully before Election Day. Uh, is that we need permanent sustained relief. And But what these court decisions do is it sets a path for that. And and I think what Judge Maida's opinion does and what the FDA filed in Judge Grimm's court, which is virtually what we're describing, is a, is a blanket type of uniform uh, pre-market approval process, serves the agency interest because they're totally incapable of handling this workload, and it provides economic relief and predictability for the industry. In the meantime, uh, these wonderful blends that are still able to come out on the market and do so without the inter- interference with the federal bureaucracy. Well, is it one person, Mitch Zealot Zeller, who runs the FDA Tobacco Control uh, Division? Is he the one that's the big obstacle, or are there others? Oh, because yes. I know the Trump administration <laughs> and the OMB has been... Uh, in favor of the cigar industry and in favor of uh, the premium cigar industry not being subject to the same regulations as the cigarette and vaping industry? Uh, they're draining the swamp on the wrong side of the city. <laughs> yeah, it's the wrong, only way I can put it is. They, yes, it's, it's Mitch Zeller and the Center for Tobacco Products that are at the center of all this. You know, we got an email, uh, the industry got an email from uh, FDA updating everybody on their wonderful progress on implementing the Tobacco Control Act a week or two ago. And literally it said, and they were bragging about it. I'm thinking to myself, what are they all doing? That that center, that center for tobacco has 950 employees. Again. Now let's just think about that. You can appreciate that more than anybody. (laughs) A giant bureaucracy that will never get smaller, that will never be eliminated, where they're in entire existence is to just perpetuate their existence that's it come up with bullshit regulations and 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 uh, obstacles to the cigar and premium cigar industry just to justify their existence it is ridiculous and that's that's a perfect example of the washington swamp and you want to know how to eliminate that without technically eliminating it is to say we are going to move that department to somewhere in uh, in Idaho or North Dakota, <laughs> in rural North Dakota, and you watch how many people will say, well, I'm not going to move to North Dakota, and it'll just die on the vine. That's what they need to do. They did it with the, if I'm not mistaken, with the Department of Agriculture, where they moved a tremendous number of people, I think, to Missouri. And, of course, the swamp bureaucracy and the unions went crazy. And Sonny Perdue made a great point. So did President Trump. That's where it belongs. That's where the the FDA's primary or the uh, uh, the uh, Department of Agriculture's primary uh, area of influence is. That's where it should be. 
they've got to eliminate this thing. And unfortunately, I don't think anybody can. So now we go back technically to square one. And the the premium cigar industry and the cigar industry has provided all these documents, has written all these letters, has filed all these briefings. And now the FDA is going to probably go through this nonsense again. Makes no sense. Well, that's right. And the fact that this thing has grown from a few dozen, and it even said that, a few dozen employees to 950, operates on a little over a billion dollar budget that is totally private sector money. Now, let's put that in perspective. It's a little over a billion dollars annually on private sector money. It's 100% funded by user fees on the industry. And that, that includes, obviously, big tobacco. I mean, the cigar sector, including mass market, is about $70 million of the whole puzzle. And, and it's still apparently not enough. And they don't have the resources, the staff, and the like to handle the regulation of premium hand, handmade cigars. And in fact, their letter to Judge Grimm all but absolutely admits that. That's also why it wasn't that long ago that the FDA put out an opinion that said premium cigars would be, quote, the lowest priority for enforcement. Well, they're just trying to relieve their own workload. They realize they bit off more than they can chew. Right. But yet we can't explain why the Justice Department is out forcing this industry to spend millions, and I do mean millions of dollars, between the Premium Cigar Association and Cigar Rights of America in court so that the FDA can defend this regulation. You know, it was really intriguing. The, 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 all the trade organizations together said that it amounts to 51,000 SKUs in the premium handmade cigar sector. And and you and I have some great mutual friends. I mean, I, I think uh, Rocky Patel has close to 3,000 SKUs or, or, or so. Right. The FDA in that same newsletter bragging about 950 employees comes out and says there, is over, there are over 400 million, 400 million SKUs in the whole tobacco sector. Well, that includes vape, liquids, E-cigarettes, the whole, the whole gamut, every smokeless product, every pouch of snooze, the whole thing. We are one half of 1% of the entire tobacco universe. So picking on us is nothing more than sport for them, but it's costing this industry a lot of money. It's costing these manufacturers a lot of money to, to get these decisions out of a court. And it shows the virtue, though, of, of why you've got to fight this as a three-front war, Capitol Hill, the White House and the courthouse that sits right in the middle between them on Pennsylvania Avenue. And it's why we really need the Trump administration. And I thank you for helping us to echo that message. Why the Trump administration needs to provide sustained, predictable relief while they're still in a position to do so. Well, in the interim, pre-market approval, not necessary in the interim, but that could change. So it's really... I'm sure the industry is monitoring it, and uh, this could be a war we may be fighting for a number of years. Well, there's no doubt this is the new normal, and I know people are tired of that cliche, but once that deeming process worked its way through, and once at the end of the Obama administration that premium cigars were subject to this regulation, which was put off from 2010 until it, till 2016, uh, we're, we're lucky to have gotten to where we have now with members of Congress echoing our message to this, this administration. We're lucky that the court opinions are ratifying our messages to the, uh, to the agency and to the president's administration, but it's a cumbersome, cumbersome process. But we're also lucky that it was the exact same federal judge, Judge Maida, based 
absolutely on the same foundation and legal logic that prevented the uh, cigar industry from having to put these 30% warning labels on those beautiful boxes that you and I have both in our houses. 30% of the top, 20% of the front, 20% of the inside, 50% of a box covered with a warning label based upon totally questionable science. And as our litigation counsel put it to the judge, making our packaging nothing more than a billboard for government speech, which is another great term that I bet Cigar Dave can use in the future, over and over again. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm often asked, General, I'm looking for a nice, mild, medium-bodied cigar that's not overpowering, that I can enjoy in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, maybe with some nice espresso or coffee or a nice scotch, cognac, port. What do you recommend? Very simple. The Gurkha Real. Cannot go wrong. Since the second the Gurkha Real was launched one year ago, it has become an instant hit, a huge seller. Why? Because it's consistent, it's smooth, the construction, the complexion of the cigar are delightful. It starts with an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, a Dominican Olor binder to give it a touch of sweetness, and it uses Nicaraguan and Dominican fillers. And the result is a cigar that has nice notes of creaminess, mild to medium flavor on the palate. On a 1 to 10, it's going to be in the 4 to 6 range, so it's not going to be overpowering. It's not going to be harsh. It's a cigar that will give you nice notes of sweetness that you can enjoy, as I said, any time of day or night. So if you're looking for a cigar that you can pass out to friends, to associates, to enjoy together with those that may not be experienced connoisseurs, the Gurkha Real would fit the bill. And for those of you that are experienced cigar connoisseurs, you too will enjoy the Gurkha Real. Gurkha Real, GurkhaCigars.com. Glenn, the states always seem to be in a tax acquisition mode. And there are two states right now where there are referendums to increase the tax on cigars. Oregon and Colorado, Oregon a number of years ago, actually put a cap and reduced the tax. I know Jan S. LaRoe of Cascade Cigars in Portland, mm-hmm. longtime listener, and uh, she always kept me abreast of what took place in Oregon. They've actually been able to resurrect the premium cigar industry because of that 50-cent cap. Well, now there's potential changes in Oregon and Colorado. Well, that's exactly right. And obviously, uh, our mutual friend Jan, she is the spiritual leader of this effort in the state of Oregon. And this referendum on the ballot in November would eliminate the 50 cent cap, which totally keeps Oregon competitive with tax increases in California uh, and with uh, neighboring the state of Washington, which also has a 50 cent cap. Uh, Those 50 cent caps have worked now in over 13 states to keep premium cigars economically competitive at the brick-and-mortar level. And Jan and her uh, team and, uh, and uh, the other retailers throughout the state of Oregon have worked diligently to try to protect this in the legislature. Well, what happens when legislatures can't make decisions or don't want to make politically sensitive decisions? They throw it to a referendum, which is a very dangerous proposition. And that's what they've done in Oregon. Likewise, uh, the state of Colorado has become somewhat like California in that it forces tax measures to go to a referendum. And it would be a dramatic tax increase on premium handmade cigars and other tobacco products in the state of California. I mean, I'm sorry, the state of Colorado. And the brick and mortar retailers, 
uh, are working diligently together to spread the word to their customers to defeat this tax increase measure. Uh, our mutual friends with Smoker Friendly are doing a campaign through their dozens and dozens of stores uh, throughout the state. So uh, it has died in the past, but there's rumors that Big Tobacco has struck a deal on this tax measure as it pertains to cigarettes, and it's in the exact same measure as with cigars. So if the money's not flowing, if you will, for a public campaign the way it has in the past because of the cigarette industry. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of grassroots type of mobilization. We thank you for helping to spread the word, and we hope that consumers of, of and citizens in Colorado and Oregon work to defeat these dangerous measures for the local brick-and-mortar uh, cigar shop. Well, Glenn, I know all of our listeners can go to CigarRights.org where you can keep everyone updated. They can sign up for your newsletter, and you're always fighting the great fight. Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America. As I always say, the FDA can't even regulate dog treats from China. They've got a deal right now with the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, yet they want to waste their time on the premium cigar industry. Makes absolutely no sense. Glenn, as always, appreciate you joining us and updating our audience. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ash, be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. And screw the enemies of pleasure. And screw the FDA bureaucrat zealots.